Well, good morning, everyone. Yeah, go ahead and have a seat now. Um, my name is Pastor John. It's great to be here this morning. It's been a bit since I've been to this campus to teach. I think uh, Mark, Pastor Mark and I were talking about it a little bit ago, and I think I started when we were in the beginning of this Mark series. So we are continuing to walk through the book of Mark today. We are in Mark chapter 11, and this is probably a, a, a piece of scripture, a passage that you are familiar with. This is a very um, important passage. It, it is a familiar passage. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all give space for this story in their gospel accounts. Uh, and it's very possible that you have heard a, a message on a, a Palm Sunday uh, contrasting those in our story today that I just read who are worshiping and praising Jesus with those who just a few short days later will be crying, crucify him, crucify him. So just to, to satisfy my curiosity this morning, how many of you are familiar with this passage that we just read? I see some hands, a lot of hands going up. Okay, well, I got you because the answer is actually, Pastor John, you know what? We can never be too familiar with a, with a piece of scripture, right? This, this, is true, this is true, but really this is, this is the problem, right? We all become, can become too familiar with, with pieces of scripture, and we can just blow right past certain things. And, and, and today's um, message, there, there is a contrast there as well. There's this contrast, this overarching contrast of the day starting with this, basically this parade, right? Jesus entering Jerusalem, and it ends with Jesus in the temple, essentially uh, looking around and looking at his, his watch, so to speak, and saying, okay, guys, it's late, it's time to go home. And you're kind of left with this, this, these, these contrasts, this high and this low, in, in, our, in our passage today. And this is true uh, in, in the life of Jesus. You have these highs and these lows in the life and story of Jesus. And this is certainly true for Jesus' disciples. They had been through many peaks and valleys with Jesus up to this point. They had been physically hungry and emotionally afraid, but yet to have their hunger satisfied and their fears quenched by the one who multiplies the loaves and fishes and calms the storm by the power of his word. They felt sorrow upon, certainly sorrow upon the news of Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, being, being beheaded, being, being executed. But then I'm certainly joy upon watching the power of Jesus as Lazarus is raised from the dead, Jesus' friend. Now, now, we can say what we want, and we often do say what we want about the disciples, right? We like to poke fun at them for their lack of, of understanding about Jesus' mission. But, but in the end, there's one thing that is quite admirable about these disciples. There's one thing that in the end is true. Through the ups and downs, through the highs and lows, these guys followed Jesus. They followed him. Through the highs, through the lows, through the misunderstandings, they continued to follow him. So as we draw uh, out some of the details and applications from our text today, this is a question I have for you, Christian. What about you? Will you follow Jesus in the highs and the lows on this journey that has all sorts of unexpected unexpe twists and turns in it? Well, let me tell you a little bit about my journey. Um, so you have to go back several years. My wife and I have a, a young family at this time. Um, it's 
kind of just past the whole financial crisis of the 2007 era. We're just getting our heads above water. We are intentional about our walk with Christ at this point in our lives. We are uh, plugged into a good church, involved in, in men's group, in women's group, um, involved in, in leadership aspects of the church, leading a, a young adults group. Uh, I am being uh, faithful with my spiritual disciplines. Um, I'm being faithful to witness. And then all of a sudden, the bottom drops out. And I find myself in six months' time, both my parents pass away rapid succession. And the company I work for lays off 500 positions. One of them, that happens to be mine. And the economy is not good enough where you can just go out and, and find a job lickety-split. So I find myself, and I'll never forget this, in this place where we had this little town home at the time, and I'm sitting on our little patio, you know, the patio that's about this, the width of your, your sliding door, and it's got the two privacy fences between it, and I'm sitting there, got my Bible, and I'm going, God, did, did I misunderstand? Did I misunderstand, God? I thought, what about, what about this whole, I do my part, and you do your part, God? What's going on? And I, and I found myself asking this question, does, does this work? What, am I, what are we doing? How am I going to feed my family? Contemplating literally going on, on food stamps at the time. What are we going to do? God, where are you? And maybe, maybe you can relate to that type of situation again. So the question is today, and really the overall arching application today is, is will you follow Jesus through the highs, through the lows? All right, let's, let's get into our, our text here this morning. Verse 1 through 3. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone, if anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. Okay, with our familiarity with this scripture, there, there's a little piece here that, again, is easy to just blow right past. So we have to ask ourselves, Mark, who is this fast-paced gospel author, why does he take the time to mention that Bethphage and Bethany are on the Mount of Olives? Have you ever stopped to, to ask that question? Maybe, maybe you know. Well, the Mount of Olives is a place in in uh, Old Testament scripture of, of symbolism and prophetic fulfillment. For example, in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet, the prophet Ezekiel uh, in 586 A.D. has this vision. And what's happening is God is, is judging the Israelites. They're up to their shenanigans again and, and things aren't going well. He is not happy and he is about to judge them. So Ezekiel has a vision and the spirit, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord comes up out of the temple he sees, leaves the temple, and it rests on the Mount of Olives. And now today, in, in our passage, now see the Mount of Olives, just to give you some context, the Mount of Olives sits about 300 feet above Jerusalem, actually, to the southeast, about two miles away. In our passage today, here comes Jesus, the, the glory of God in the flesh, descending from the Mount of Olives back to the temple. So you see 
the symbolism there. And, and as Jesus is doing this, he is literally fulfilling Zechariah's prophecy in real time. This is the prophecy in Zechariah about the, the long-awaited, victorious, messianic king who arrives humbly on a donkey's colt. All right, let's, let's keep reading and picking up in, in verse 4 now. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door, and they were un- as they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Okay, so as I just mentioned, this, the, the, this whole thing about the donkey was uh, a fulfillment of, of prophecy. And as we'll see in a bit, um, this gets everyone fired up because this is Jesus signaling here. Everything he's doing is, is very purposeful. Uh, him uh, uh, basically commandeering this donkey, which someone in the ancient days of royalty would have had uh, been with, within their rights to certainly do. Everything Jesus is doing is sending a single that says, this is it, your king has arrived. But I want to hit pause on all that for just a moment, and I want to just focus on the disciples. Focus on these, these two disciples who Jesus called over for this, this task to go get him a donkey. Now, I imagine when Jesus called them over, I can only imagine what they were thinking. Okay, they had been heading toward Jerusalem. Uh, as you, we've learned in, in the weeks past, Jesus is very purposeful, and, and I think they're beginning to think, okay, this is it. And, and they might have been thinking, you know, okay, I wonder what Jesus is going to ask us to do at this point. Maybe he's going to ask us to go pick a fight with a Roman, with a Roman soldier. Or, oh, hey, do you remember a few weeks ago when Jesus turned over the tables in the temple? Because he does that twice, by the way, if you didn't know that. Maybe he's going to go ask us to cause some, uh, it may, maybe he's going to ask us to start the temple on fire. I don't know. No, he wouldn't do that. That's a, lighten up, guys. Come on. It's a joke. Okay, listen. But, but they get there, and, what, and Jesus says, no, no, hold, slow your roll. Hold on, guys. We're not gonna, I'm not asking you to do anything like that. Here's what I need you to, go, to do. I need you to go get me a donkey. In fact, I need you to borrow me a new donkey, not a donkey from, from the used donkey lot. Uh, uh, I need to borrow a donkey from the new donkey lot, and I need to take it on a test drive down to J-Town. Hmm. Okay, so moral of the story. And as we see, these guys are, are what? They're, they're obedient. They're obedient. And, and here's the, the moral of the story, guys. Every day in our lives, we have curveballs thrown at us. Every day in our lives, we have highs and lows. And so what do we do when Jesus simply says, hey, I need you to fetch me a donkey? Will, will we obey? Essentially, what Jesus is doing here is setting up a divine appointment for these guys, isn't he? Now, we don't know if Jesus uh, arranged this supernaturally or naturally. It doesn't matter. Either way, if you do the math, it's a divine appointment. And these guys obediently walk right into it. What do we do when Jesus brings us these promptings? When he uh, has a divine appointment for us, do we say, Jesus, you know what, I'm, I'm preoccupied right now. Life, whether life's great or, or life is in shambles for you, you guys fill in the blank. High or low, it doesn't matter. Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit to walk into these divine appointments. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about one I had. Uh, this happened uh, 
on the timeline of the story I shared with you, this happened just shortly before everything broke loose. Um, I, I was uh, a golf pro. Um, I worked for Dick Sporting Goods. I managed one of their golf shops. And one particular day, a lady came through the shop. It was a very slow day. She was the only lady in the shop, a little bit older lady. And, and I could tell she didn't know what she was looking for. Walking around, walking around, I asked her politely, hey, can I help? You know, you don't want to be that pushy salesperson, right? But, but nonetheless, I, I can tell she's struggling. So I asked her again, can I help you? No, I'm, I'm good, I'm good. Well, ma'am, has anyone ever taken the time to explain what this, all the differences are between the golf clubs? Uh, no, sir, I'm, I'm okay, really, okay. 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes goes by. 40 minutes goes by. She is still wandering around my golf shop. With that, I'm feeling a prompting from, from the Holy Spirit. You need to go say this to her. She's not here for golf. She's here for me. Lord, that is crazy. This is corporate America. You don't just walk up to people and ask them spiritual questions when they're trying to shop. You need to do it. Okay. I'm going to go fetch Jesus' donkey. So I walk up to her. Now, what I want to say is, listen, this is crazy. I don't even know what I'm doing here. You're, you may want to uh, go, you know, report me to the, the anti-Jesus police or whatever. I don't know. But listen, here's, I, have, I need to ask you a question. And as I ask her, if she, need, she turns to me with big eyes and like, hey, listen, okay, I told you I didn't need help. And I just say, ma'am, is there something I'm supposed to be praying for you about? The moment that came out of my mouth, her eyes flooded with tears and she began to weep. She said, listen, first I can't even believe you came up and asked me that, but yes, I need prayer. I need prayer right now. I just found out terrible news about my husband. Would you pray for me? I said, oh, okay, well, let's go over to the hitting bay and let's pray. And we did. Friends, these disciples had no idea that this small act of obedience was fulfilling prophecy. They, and they had no idea that that prophecy was so closely connected to John 3.16, for God so loves the world that he gave his own one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And friends, we, we need to be available to step into those same divine appointments. Now listen, you don't, you don't have to be a, a, a psycho like me, okay? Maybe, maybe it's not, you know, grabbing a megaphone and going down to, to Salt Lake and, and, and sharing the gospel down there, but maybe it's just bringing your neighbor a plate of cookies with a gospel note attached to it. Maybe that's the donkey Jesus wants you to go fetch. Or how about this? You know, we are called... First uh, Peter 3.15, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for, for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gladness and respect. Are you prepared with that answer? And, and I know the pushback sometimes is, well, yeah, it's, it says for anyone who asks. Okay, well, friends, church, are we making them curious enough to want to ask? Are we making them curious enough about our lives to want to ask, are you showing up to work on Monday? And when your coworkers say, how was the, how was, you know, how was the weekend, how was life? You go, well, 
you, you drag in on a Monday like the rest of them and say, well, you know, life, it, it's taken forever. Or do you say, you know what? No, I started my week yesterday on Sunday. That's when my week started. I started going to church and I praised the Lord Jesus. And you want to know why I praised him? Because he died for my sins. He rose from the dead to give me life. How was your weekend? And again, you don't have to be a nut job like me, okay? But are you ready? Are you purposeful to go fetch a donkey for Jesus? Because, you know, we have an opportunity to fulfill prophecy too. Matthew 24, 14 This is Jesus speaking. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Friends, how many people can we connect to John 3.16 before the end comes? Are we going to be obedient like these disciples, even through the highs, through the lows, even when we don't understand exactly what Jesus is, is asking us to do, to just do it, to just be obedient, to just go fetch Jesus? A donkey. One more thing we can learn here. The next time you find yourself confused, up, down, in the middle, in between, I want you to think about this passage. Think, think about, well, let me, let me ask you, are, are you surprised that when the disciples showed up to do this, that everything was exactly like Jesus said it would be? Does that shock you in any way? Next time you're wringing your hands about your situation, remember, Jesus knows exactly what is going on in your life. Jesus knows everything. He controls everything. What's our job? Church, our job is simply to do the next faithful thing he's put in front of us to do and trust him. All right, let's continue on to verse 8 here. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Now, this was just uh, a tribute, signs of, of, of accepting Jesus as king. The branches are, are victory. The, the cloaks, throw, the clothes thrown on the, on, the, on the ground is like the proverbial red carpet, okay? Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord, blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So, again, Jesus' followers, they're, they're fired up. They know that the scriptures, uh, they, they know their scriptures, and, and now they have definitely connected this Zechariah 9-9 verse, and, and please look it up, um, this, this Zechariah 9-9 prophecy. They've connected those dots. This is what they've been waiting for. This is it. This is their long-awaited king. He's here. He's going to free them from Roman oppression. In their mind, they're thinking he is a a political leader. Little do they know that this King Jesus is unlike any other king. He's coming not to punish and kill his enemies, but to serve them, to give his life for them. That those that would surrender to his grace would have life, everlasting life with him. Let's move on to verse 11 here. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. After looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. 
Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. Okay, here we, we kind of have this anticlimactic end to our story today. Let me, let me kind of finish my story from, from the bottom dropping out. That day I, was, I had my Bible. Um, I had been trying to work many different odd jobs to try to put food on the table, and, and they were manual labor type jobs. I was exhausted. I'd been working in a warehouse, working, uh, doing landscaping. And I have my Bible on my lap. I'm sitting in a bag chair on that concrete patio, and I just say, God, I can't do this. I couldn't even read my Bible. And I actually fell asleep. I fell asleep. And when I fell asleep, and this might weird some people out. I don't know. I don't care. This is what happened. I fell asleep, and I had a dream. I had a dream that felt more like a vision. And it was a vision of God's amazing grace in my life. I was on a boat casting a net over and over and over again, just like the Bible story, not getting nothing, no catch, no catch. And all of a sudden I turn around and I, I hear, hey, 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 hey. I turn around and I see Jesus and he's brought into close focus. And he says, it's going to be <laughs> It's going to be all right. Just throw your net on the other side. I don't even know what that means exactly at this point. But I wake up and my spirit knows God is in control. And his grace is indeed. You know, I sing about it every week at church. Your grace is enough, but is it really? Do we really believe it? And I woke up and I went, wow. And just like Peter, who Jesus asked him, if you remember, um, after a teaching that was a little bit harder for some people, they began to let, leave Jesus. And, and Jesus looked at Peter and said, well, Peter, what about you? Are you guys going to leave too? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that rang through my ears as I woke up and, and contemplated what this dream meant. And my day ended pretty anticlimactically. I basically put my head on the pillow, resolved to trust Jesus, regardless of the highs and of the lows. So this day ends in an anticlimactic way. We see Jesus looking around, looking around the temple. Did you get me a Kleenex, honey? (laughs) It's my daughter over there. Please, thank you. Thank you. Uh, We see Jesus looking looking around the temple. And I I want you to go back with me to that, thank you, to that... uh, Ezekiel passage, okay? So here, the glory of the Lord in the flesh is in the temple. It had departed in the Ezekiel passage. But you know, between the glory of the Lord leaving the temple and resting on the Mount of Olives in Ezekiel's vision, God made a promise. He promised his people, his remnant of Israel, his, his people, he promised that he would put a new spirit in them. That he would take out and remove their stony, stubborn hearts and put in a heart of flesh. A heart that was tender and a heart that was responsive to him. 
And now we have Jesus here, who on his way to the cross is about to fulfill this promise. Because, you know, if, if you've put your faith in Christ, if you've trusted his life, death, and resurrection by grace through faith, you believe that you're going to be with Christ, that you're with him now and will be with him upon your physical death, that you're going to be with him. And you know that for everyone that does that, you've been made a new creation, a new creation in Christ. Let me read to you 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And you know that the temple location has been relocated. It's now in me and it's now in you. So Jesus continues to scan the temple. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Jesus in this scene, is scanning the temple. He's about to, as we'll see in weeks to come here, turn over the tables again. He's scanning the temple. He's looking to see, is there any true faithfulness here? Or is this just, is this just rote, dead religion? And you know, Jesus is continuing to scan the temple, to scan our hearts. He's looking for faithful followers, for those that won't leave him in the highs and lows, that will stick by him and follow him. The temple has been relocated into you and our, into our hearts, friends. And so that's where we're going to leave it today. Will you follow Jesus in the highs and in the lows? Now we can be certain that if you're a true follower of Jesus by his grace, Certainly, his grace is enough, and it will carry you through the highs and lows, and you will follow him. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord and our God, Lord, we do thank you that your grace is enough. We do thank you, God, that you are sovereign. Lord, we do thank you, God, that even though this world throws all sorts of, of highs and lows at us, God, that you're with us, that you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, God, for the victory you secured for us on the cross. And Lord, we thank you that your word says, your sheep hear your voice, God. So I, Lord, I pray, we pray that you would help us be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. That you, you would help us be sensitive to walk into the divine appointments that you have for us, Lord that we could connect people to John 3.16, Lord. That we would grow your kingdom because, God, we love you. We're thankful, God, for what you've done for us. And we want to bring you glory and honor and praise. All this we pray in your precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen.